This is the Create Love, Create Freedom podcast. My name is Allison Fisher, and on today's episode, we are going to be diving a little deeper into avoidant attachment, um, particularly when a person who is avoidantly attached is in a romantic relationship um, or is dating someone. And what we're going to be discussing today is disconnection and non-reciprocity. So something I hear from avoidance often is they will say something kind of along the lines of, I don't want my partner to do anything for me because then I really feel like they will expect something of me. So people with avoidant attachment receive love very gratefully um, from their partner. They really appreciate it. They, um, it means a lot to them. But they don't always understand how to give it back in exchange because they didn't learn how to do that. Um, they didn't see that in childhood and they weren't treated that way in childhood. There wasn't an exchange of energy, a give and take. Um, it was usually just a take from them. So they appreciate the love. They feel really good when their partner shows them love. Um, but they really struggle to give it back in return. And research has found um, lower levels of receptivity uh, gazing or eye gazing, uh, fe- facial and vocal pleasantness, interest and attentiveness, um, less capacity to read a partner's feelings and less enjoyment in their interactions with their partner when it comes to, um, an avoidant who's in a relationship. So without the unconscious skills, to always fully connect, to, you know, be very present, um, with their, with their thoughts, with their energy, um, and to really fully participate. Staying engaged for, for the avoidance, staying engaged in the relationship through eye contact, touch, asking questions, um, referencing their partner's experience and positive reinforcement um, can really be very difficult for an avoidant person. And the partner of an avoidant person can really experience regular low-level invalidation in the relationship. Um, They can also feel kind of a a sense of unsettledness, and they really can't put their finger on it. Um, They really can't explain why they feel like, although they love their avoidant person, that that deep connection, that deep intimacy, that deep union, um, that, that sacred union with that person, it's not quite what they're looking for, or it's not quite right, or it's not quite there. There's a lot of things that the avoidant person will do that are loving, you know, that is very loving, that is very kind, that is very generous, but it often in the relationship isn't directed towards the partner. 
It's often directed towards their children or other people within the the family um, or also um, their friends. But a lot of times the partner of the avoidant person will kind of feel like something's missing a little bit. Um, they, they feel a little invalidated. They feel a little unsettled and they really can't always explain why. So often this, this happens because avoidance often use distraction tactics, like regularly being on the phone or engage with another activity in order to hold space so that they don't have to have as deep of an interaction with their partner as perhaps someone who is more securely attached. Um, not showing up or being present in a relationship and difficulty with visual or uh, touch, like contact, uh, physical touch, is really reenacting the way the parent of the avoidant may have been with them. Um, but for their partner, it can really feel very painful and lonely to be in the presence of someone who is often really kind of checked out. Um, I know for myself in, with personal experience, it, it really felt like they were very self-involved. Uh, what they wanted mattered a lot more than what I needed in that moment. Or, um, you know, even just, just not wanting to spend time with me. Um, and so, you know, this, this felt very lonely. Um, but often the avoidant person has no idea that they're being very hurtful or really doing anything wrong. So their partner needs to make that very clear. Um, and often the partner will make that very clear. In my own experience with a deeply avoidant man, I made my feelings very clear, not early on in our friendship and then our relationship, but as time went on, I learned how to be very clear. And then it became very clear to me that he just did not have the capacity to meet me on the level that I really wanted that close connection with. I, I didn't want to feel lonely in the relationship. I didn't want to feel like he was always holding me at an arm's length. So for someone who's a non-avoidant, um, this could be that they, you know, have a secure attachment style or even another insecure attachment style, um, even anxious attachment. I, I find that loving kindness really underpins a cycle of positivity. That's really the foundation of holding together a happy relationship. It's that really excited to be around the person. Um, you see those couples where even though they've been around each other for a while or they've been in the relationship for a long time, like there's still a little spark. There's still a bit of that love and their relationship looks very positive from the outside. And they're also the people that you know are not faking it, right? They're the people who you say, yeah, they, that's actually what they really have. That's their authentic relationship. Quite, um, kindness and giving really begets more kindness and giving. 
The more kind and giving you are, the more kindness and giving you receive. Um, when you're in a non-avoidant relationship. And what I found is certainly that, you know, very successful relationships um, have a foundation of an expectation of trust and reciprocity, truth and reciprocity. It's not a burden or a problem for me to give back. Um, I was with a, I dated for a few weeks, a guy who was, um, probably had more dismissive, um, attachment style, excuse me, uh, disorganized attachment style, but it is still a form of avoidant attachment. Right. And so, you know, he would do this thing where he said, you just give too much. No one could ever give as much as you do. And granted, um, I had kind of gone into, um, you know, more of that depth of anxiety. So it was kind of giving a lot of myself, but even just something small felt like a problem for him. Well, don't expect that in return. I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not going to give, I'm not going to kind of show the same kind of love. It's a very unmatched, they're not at the same levels, right? And so again, successful relationships have a foundation and an expectation of trust, of togetherness, of closeness, of intimacy, of openness. And they expect that it is um, an exchange, right? There's a reciprocity to it. But unlike the securely attached who can really take pleasure in being needed and value um, and being valuable to others and adding value to them. Avoidance really tend to view relationships innately as hard work. Um, If they haven't had to work very hard for the relationship, if they haven't had to put in a lot of time and effort, um, if they haven't had to sacrifice a lot, then the relationship must not be really very real or very deep. Um, Because the way that the avoidant understands it is to take on any need of another, of, you know, of another person's instinctively makes them feel a fear that they will put some, that they will let somebody down. Because that's also, again, what they saw in their childhood. Um, a lot of times avoidance really deny their own needs. Um, and so it, I think, is very perplexing to them, but also very frustrating to them that someone else should attend to their needs and that someone else should need something from them. So... I think that a lot of times avoidance will receive love, kindness, um, quality time spent together, a gift, um, money, um, an act of service, um, a need to, you know, exchange verbally in the relationship. But I think what often happens is that 
they may receive that, but they won't give it back. And so to the partner in the relationship, things very quickly feel non-reciprocal. And to the non-avoidant partner, it often very much feels like they're being rejected. Um, maybe not in the same way that a kind of in-your-face rejection happens, but there's there's something. I know for me, there, there was kind of something in my heart where it was like, seriously, you, you, you didn't remember that it was my birthday? And the only thing you said was, how's the birthday girl? There wasn't anything thoughtful. There wasn't anything kind. There wasn't, there wasn't any attention paid to it. Um, and yet in the years that, and this is really the key was that that happened when we were actually in the relationship together versus when we were just friends. So when we were friends, there was a a long, thoughtful conversation. Um, there was, um, you know, a gift, there was constant texts throughout the day, happy birthday. I hope that you just have such a wonderful day today. But it's almost as if when the avoidant actually enters the relationship, that's when they realize these fears of their own, you know, of being rejected by the other person, fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy. And so they're very incapable of connecting with their partner in that way. It could be something uh, very different than just a birthday. That was just uh, simply an example that I had that really um, made me feel very rejected at the time. So to be in a secure relationship is really to try to meet the other person's needs and for them to really try to meet yours while also really taking responsibility for your own happiness. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy right now with um, Will Smith and uh, his wife after uh, the the slap incident. Um, but I did appreciate something that Will Smith said regarding marriage many years ago. And that was, he told his wife that she needed to come to the relationship happy. Because the truth is, we can't make someone else happy. We can add to their happiness, but we can't make them happy. And in a secure relationship where we are taking responsibility for our own happiness, where we're taking responsibility for our own growth, but yet our relationship has goals and we work on some of them together. And you know, when um, defense mechanisms come up, when triggers come up, we can still be there for the person. Um, but yet at the same time, we understand in the secure relationship in particular that both people have needs. And it's not a burden to meet those needs um, or to have your needs met. And this took me a very long time to learn. And the other thing for me in particular that I learned was that for someone who's avoidant, that responsibility of having to meet someone else's needs can feel very engulfing, can feel 
um, very much like a burden. And oftentimes, because again, they were not given the skills um, in childhood and they saw something very different in childhood. And, you know, they, um, they don't know how to cope with that. Having to be relied upon, you know, um, to meet someone else's needs or even to share their own needs so they can be met by another person. Um, if someone needs the avoidant person, trying to live up to those needs can really produce a lot of paralyzing emotions of guilt and shame for the avoidant. And avoidants are often very unable to hold space in a healthy way. Um, so that they can like reach out and uh, sympathize um, or empathize with their partner, support and comfort their partner um, without feeling overwhelmed by empathy and the responsibility for that person's emotions. Even though the person might not be expecting them to take responsibility for their emotions, but even sharing those emotions can feel like a lot to someone who is deeply avoidant. And then they often have a lot of paralysis over what to do about it. Because the truth is, in after the childhood that they've had, the only thing that they've learned to do in order to manage their emotions is to suppress them. Which again is a defense mechanism. That's keeping people at arm's length. That is pushing down their own emotions so that they don't have to oftentimes feel the overwhelming emotions and feelings that come up for them. So until the avoidant has really learned healthier ways to manage their own emotional um, feelings and process uh, their guilt uh, their shame um, around having uh, kind of feeling inadequate with sharing their feelings with um, allowing someone else to see their emotions. Um, they also will still struggle with comforting somebody else. And so then they'll also feel very resentful or feel trapped by the expectations of reciprocity in the relationship. So in their own personal lives, they really deny their own needs. And then when they're in the relationship, they also will resent their partner for having or expressing needs. Um, they can also do things like harshly judging their partner as weaker for having uh, needs, for expressing their emotions. Um. I think a lot of times avoidance may really feel that they can't or they don't know how to assert themselves. They are trained to really not rock the boat a lot, to, to really keep things very even keel. And because they have to keep everything very even keel, I think that this builds a lot of resentment. And then in the relationship, because they struggle so much with their emotions and their feelings, um, dealing with those those needs of their partner 
I think that their partners often um, maybe blame them a little bit. Um, so certainly the avoidant person feels very blamed in the relationship. Um, I think this is also partly due to the fact that they hold a lot of internal shame. And so then they also kind of get in this, this kind of cycle where they also very much feel like they can't please their partner. I heard an avoidant once say closeness means, excuse me, let me try that again. (laughs) Closeness means emotions and emotions mean pain. And I think what he was really getting at was that means he really needs to push away from that pain to, to push it down, to suppress it. Um, because it's very difficult to feel that. So the longer there is an emotional and physical distance in the relationship between the avoidant and most likely the non-avoidant, um, the longer it may feel very comfortable for them. And I find this to kind of be interesting because with the avoidant I was in a relationship with, it was a long distance relationship. And I feel like the relationship lasted longer than it would have had we been in person um, because there was this barrier. And so I think he still felt more secure and still felt very wanted, but he could also keep the relationship at an emotional distance um, because it was also at a physical distance. And so when he needed me, he would call. Um, We would talk. And he was able to share some of his feelings and go a little bit deeper than I think he would have been able to do had we been face to face. So he was much more comfortable in this space. But what's interesting to me is that as the the avoidant partner gets closer, the avoidant person will often get further away, intentionally move further away because their emotional connection and, vul- and vulnerability are a subconscious threat. And what I found was in, in my relationship with a man who was avoidant, we connected initially. I had not done, you know, we, we've been friends for six, seven years. Um, and I had not, in, in the initial stages of our relationship, I was still very much in the anxious kind of space. Um, we didn't talk all the time those first few years, but, you know, you know, every couple months, whatever. And we developed a really close friendship. Um, but what I find is really interesting is the more that I became more secure and partly I could do that because there was distance in both the relationship and then eventually in the, um, you know, in the friendship and then eventually in the relationship, um, was, you know, that this allowed the relationship to continue and the relationship didn't become a threat really until, we had been in the relationship for a little bit and I was asking for things. I was asking for certain needs to be met. I was asking for us to get together more than once every six months. And I think that over time, he really felt that as I was getting healthier, 
the relationship wasn't safe. Avoidance, learn early on not to turn to people for support. Um, They often use the distancing tactic and the defense mechanism of repression to manage emotions and situations that really activate any of their attachment needs, that kind of need to get close. Um, But when they do seek support in a relationship, they are really likely to use very indirect methods. Um, Sometimes it could be hinting. Um, Sometimes it could be sulking. Sometimes it could be complaining. Um, Sometimes it could be disengaging, right? That's actually one of the things that I found, even though I was working on healing from my anxious attachment, he would go radio silent if something didn't happen the way that he wanted it to. And um, it felt very disengaging. Um, But I know that the opposite was true. And so I also began to feel this a little bit. Sometimes I would put the brakes on something or use a, an emotional distancing tactic, um, like disengaging in order to feel a little bit safer. But the real truth was I actually wanted the closeness. I find that someone who is deeply avoidant seldom discusses their emotions, um, even with their partners. And I found that the avoidant can really see their partner's regular need to speak about how they're feeling emotionally as being very needy. And so the avoidant partner will often dismiss attempts to engage at a deeper level. They'll dismiss um, bids for connection. Instead, they'll actually put distance there so that the relationship can't go to a deeper level. And what often uh, happened for me is that it made me as the as the partner, um, very unsafe. It it made me feel very emotionally unsafe, very psychologically unsafe. Like he wasn't a man that I could really truly trust. And before that, again, when we were just friends, I think it was also partly because, um, at that point, our interactions were simply over the phone. Now I'm talking hours and hours of conversation, but he felt very secure and he felt like someone like a man that I could completely and utterly trust, um, that I could feel very safe with. And just as a little side note, this is really the only way that the feminine can feel safe to a man um, or, or when she feels safe with him, the only way or the, kind of the way that she will act is she will be able to open up to him. Um, she'll be able to really let her feminine flow and be in deeply in her feminine nature, her feminine wisdom and her feminine energy. But when that, when those distancing tactics happen, when those bids for connection go either unnoticed by the avoidant partner or they're simply dismissed, the other partner feels very unsafe. And particularly for a woman that's a man I can't trust anymore. 
That's a man I can't be in a relationship with. Um, what often then happens is that once those distancing tactics take place and those dismissing attempts to really engage on a deeper level, um, happen, um, I find that it really makes it very difficult to navigate relationship issues together. So the relationship can really kind of start to fall apart. What I've also found very interesting is as the relationship kind of starts to disintegrate, the avoidant will really see the needs of others outside the relationships as a priority over their partners. And I personally found this to be very confusing. Um, and what I noticed was the man that I was dating really presented himself as a very different person outside the relationship than he was inside the relationship. And what I think is really interesting about this is that avoidance have real fears of hurting their partner, but also feeling smothered and obligated by them, which makes them very sensitive to even very benign requests um, by their partner, um, that their, that their partner's needs get met. And the avoidant really may come to view generosity as a form of manipulation. And this is often because the avoidant person really operates in a survival mode, unconsciously anticipating being abandoned, which is funny because when they start to see generosity as manipulative, when they start to feel smothered, when they use distancing tactics, when they dismiss attempts to go deeper or they dismiss bids for connection, that's often when they will be abandoned. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're sabotaging the relationship, even though they don't feel like that's what they're doing. It's very unconscious. And so what happens is the avoidant will often hoard their resources when it comes to generosity. And they'll really resist operating as a team with their partner. It's very counterintuitive. Um, but what I have found sometimes when that cycle gets started, one of the most beneficial things that you can do if you're trying to salvage the relationship is really do nothing at all for your avoidant partner. It's almost like they need to be able to re-regulate their nervous system and they can do that by completely disengaging. Um, that means that none of your needs are there, none of your needs will be met, but it also means that they don't have to worry about that for at least for a little while. They may try to re-engage at some point down the line, um, but they're not capable of doing it when they're so deeply activated and their nervous system is activated. Um, what I've also found is that it's really hard for the avoidant person to display appreciation and gratitude 
and they may be reluctant to take the initiative, um, such as by organizing a date or an activity, um, suggesting things to do, uh, maybe buying flowers, spending time with uh, friends, with, with your family members. And I think that the avoidance partner should really be aware that this lack of initiative is not actually disinterest. It feels like that. But it's really an instilled adaptation. Um, it's really, again, a defense mechanism. It is something that is lodged so deeply into their subconscious, they really can't see it. Um, I think that they were at a very young age kind of programmed to minimize their own desires as well as the, de the desires of those around them. Oftentimes because what their parents wanted from them was way too much and it infringed upon them. And so they've learned these kind of deactivation strategies. Um, and what happens when they do that is they become, they, they feel a lot safer. Um, what's interesting though, of course, is suppression is always problematic in the end. Avoidance do have their own desires, their own needs, and they can also struggle to locate, you know, again, their, their own desires and needs, but, um, because they can't locate their own desires and needs, and they're not good at picking up on the desires and needs of their partner. I think that this really, a lot of times for the avoidant, will build a lot of resentment and a feeling of engulfment, which means that they need to distance themselves. They have to do it in order to protect. And, you know, one of those things is definitely feeling too relied upon. Um, something very nice is done for them and they really struggle to show their appreciation or their gratitude. And they have a really hard time being proactive and um, being committed to activities, right? Couples holiday, hosting events together, or, you know, um, being part of events with their partner's family and friends. So, they feel this engulfment, and so they really need to create distance. I think that avoidance also find it really difficult to be unreservedly happy for their partner. I think that this is often because instinctively, even unconsciously, they perceive relationships in a win-lose power struggle. Um, I noticed this a little bit with the avoidant that I was dating. I adored him. I deeply supported everything that he did. Gave him a lot of feedback. Um, you know, was his confidant, his companion, um, but also his ally, his oracle, um, his... Uh, advisor in life. 
Um, but I also found that if I went into too much detail or if I gave too much, particularly analytical information um, on how well I was doing, I think that I, or I would notice these patterns of a little bit of a power struggle. And then he would often accuse me of being the one who was trying to outcompete him. So again, be aware of this kind of win-lose power struggle. The avoidant, I think often the avoidant partner has a greater tendency to be very self-centered in relationships, even if they're the opposite outside of them. Um, That was one of the hard things about detecting what some of the issues were within my relationship with uh, the, the man that I was with who was avoidant was that outside of the relationship, he didn't, he didn't seem that way. He didn't seem self-centered. But sometimes within our relationship, he very much was. He felt a bit controlling. He felt like, I always felt like there was a little bit of a competitive attitude. And then he would instead blame me or say that I was the one who's being very competitive. Um, sometimes very uncooperative. Well, this is just my schedule right now. You're going to have to deal with it. I don't have time to get together with you. Um, and, and this created a lot of internal and external problems within our relationship. And so when there was contempt and criticism, denied praise and missed bids for connection, missed positivity, I, I told him multiple times, you're killing the love. You're really killing the ability or or the avoidance is really killing the ability for their partner to, to re-engage, um, to fight off these things that are going on uh, within the relationship and instead just say, you know what, this is enough. I'm done with this. And what I found is that even a partner's supportiveness um, can feel very uncomfortable to an avoidant, especially when they haven't developed the tools to return it. And it really conflicts with their negative self-belief. Um, they are very hardwired. They're very... They're very capable a lot of times to support themselves, hold on to their own needs, to take care of their own needs, and to not expect anything from anybody else. And so I think initially they really may enjoy the partner's supportiveness, but subconsciously they really fear the more that someone believes in them, the more that that person could expect from them. And so the more they will let them down. Um, It's this kind of cycle of defeatedness, um, of sabotaging the relationship, and really of kind of an underlying unworthiness. And as someone who was formerly, I like to say formerly, um, I've 
definitely moved a lot more into secure attachment. And so formerly anxiously attached, I very much understand not feeling worthy. Um, either feeling like too much or not enough. And so what I find really interesting is that until the avoidant person really addresses their core beliefs, uh, those stories that they've been telling themselves, um, a partner or their partner really believing them, it's too much for them, usually at some point. Um, a lot of times I've noticed that they'll cover it up with, again, a lot of controlling behavior, um, very selfish behavior, um, kind of slide around on the narcissist spectrum a bit. Um, they will also, you know, distance or do different kinds of things. Um, but they, they will find, they will really find that they're not very comfortable, um, being seen, being heard or being needed by somebody else. And so, you know, again, until they begin to kind of heal some of these aspects of who they are, um, they may leave the relationship or the partner may leave the relationship and they may kind of fall into that. Well, I just haven't found the right one yet. Again, I did a podcast on the phantom X and the perfect partner. And I think that this really causes a lot of their relationship frustrations and um, issues. And so again, then they have to use these disconnect, these disconnection tactics and this non-reciprocity in order to feel safe. And again, come back to this kind of equilibrium, especially when it comes to their nervous system. And then eventually the relationship will um, very much break down. So I hope that this was helpful for you today. Um, this is in no way some sort of shaming kind of thing towards someone who is avoidant. Um, I deeply love and appreciate, um, you know, all insecure attachment styles. And the first time that I realized that I had a lot of attachment wounds and that I had attached insecurely and that I was very anxious, I realized that the avoidant partner was a mirror. Um, they did some opposite things often to protect themselves. And I very much understood that. Um, they did a lot of things like with the bravado, um, the controlling behaviors in order to uh, really protect themselves from having to see themselves as unworthy. And I very much uh, kind of got and understood that. Um, but one of the best pieces of news that I realized was when I was told that I could actually heal this, um, that I didn't have to feel suffocated and trapped and like I was in a cage with my emotions, with my feelings, um, and I didn't have to continuously attract partners who weren't good for me. Um, I didn't have to be in this place of constantly feeling anxious all the time. So I found a lot of freedom through self-healing. Uh, so I created the Create Love Freedom Members Club, which is a subscription-based membership. And um, it is a self-guided self-healing journey. 
Uh, each month I release a new topic. Um, and with that topic, that self-healing topic, uh, you can go through it. There's multiple videos to explain it, to really go in depth and look at the ways to heal this. And then there's also a workbook so that you can take it a little bit further. Um, this month in our members club, we are looking at um, our inner shadow, those parts of ourselves that we deeply repress. Um, we've looked at our Myers-Briggs personality type. We've looked at um, our attachment styles. So hence, avoidant attachment, um, anxious attachment, um, secure attachment, and also um, we've looked at healing our inner child. Um, and in the future, we're going to be taking a really deep dive into our nervous system and polyvagal theory. So if that is something of interest to you and you want to join a community of women who are doing a lot of self-healing work, um, please go to createlovefreedom.podia.com and you can click on Members Club and sign up from there. Or you can also um, take a look at our Instagram page, which is at Create Love Freedom, and you can click on the link in our bio and go to Members Club and sign up there as well. Until next time.